0: Alright guys, can you guys hear me? I think all is good. What's going on everyone? Welcome back to another episode or the first live stream of the Dead Game podcast here on Twitch. I usually start the introduction with you guys tuning in to my Twitch, shouting it out, saying... Do follow my Twitch stream and all that, but it looks like this is unnecessary for today. As you can see, this is how I usually do my podcast. I have a bunch of notes that I have written down for today's episode, which is my one-year anniversary of playing Legends from Terra. And yes, we've been playing this game for a year now. A lot of things have changed since since the first day I started playing this game, all the way until today where there's Targon, Shurima. Back then, around a year from... A year ago, there were only a couple of regions, maybe six. The primary regions, the Frail Lord, Shadow Isles, P and Z. I'm really missing out, Noxious. And the last one is Ionia. Like, everyone seems to forget about Ionia. So yes, let me formally introduce all of you to the very first live stream edition of the death Game podcast. I hope that the quality is good and all of you guys can hear me. And now with the introduction all the way, let's talk about Legends of Runeterra from the start, ever since I first started playing the game, how I discovered it and everything. So let's pull up the first graphic of the day, which is, yes, pretty sure you guys can see it now, my one year anniversary of Legends of Runeterra, along with the brand new patch, patch 2.5.0, which is the brand new patch which was released about... I think on Thursday or was it Wednesday? Yes, I believe it was Wednesday that it was released, which is Thursday for us in Singapore, the Southeast Asia region. So, like I mentioned, before I talk about my one-year anniversary and what I think about the patch, let me just briefly go through a couple of things that I've actually went through today, which is I casted today's Dragon Summit alongside Moon Boy and Sono. The tournament featured some of the best Southeast Asia players from our region. Uh, let me I I if I'm not mistaken, let me just pull out a list of the players who were who played in the tournament. Give me one second, let me pull it up. Let me just whip it out on my Brave browser. One sec, one sec. I believe the players who participated in the Dragon Summit are In no particular order. Azubu, which represent which is representing the Singapore Which representing Singapore, sorry. Have a Taite, if I'm not mistaken, Weather 5, 4 second... Death. Do Not Ask, NTNN, and Odyssey. Among all these players, I have personally played against them multiple times on the ladder and I believe that NTNN won the overall tournament with the lineup of double aggro. Yes, he played double aggro in today's tournament and then he actually went through all the way. I believe there were a couple of crisp plays that he has made, very perfect plays. And I would say a lot of people always talk about aggro and throwing shade on aggro saying that it's a very bad deck, you know, no skill involved, smoke, smoke, smoke. But when we think about it, aggro actually requires some complex thinking if you were to run it. Because apart from the smoking and all that, there's, a, there's definitely some time when you need to leave a spell mana. In certain matchups, it's not always you're going to smoke and win the game instantly. And so congratulations the game, once again to NTNN for winning the entire tournament. I believe he went through the loser's bracket all the way. In terms of plays, I was actually quite impressed with a lot of the decision-making that he has done. Like, no doubt, there are some times where he opened optimal hand, he could easily just close out the game easily because of the, the way he draws his cards. And there was one deck that I believe he brought the uh, discard aggro deck along with Renekton, Sejuani. And if you guys tune into my stream a couple of times, I actually hit Master Rank with Sejuani Renekton this season. And it's a deck which I am very, very used to playing for a while. And I think it's the best part. Even though I hit Master Rank with... Johnny and Renactor. I seldom play it ever since. In fact, I've been taking a week-long sabbatical from Runeterra, which is the first time that I've taken a break playing this game ever since I started playing, which is a year ago. And it has been great. I just not. I just don't play the game. And I remember unlocking the uh, chest for the week, and I just only have, uh, what do you call it, I only have one. I only managed to unlock two common chests, and actually that's pretty good. Uh? You don't play the game and you still get rewards. Kudos to Ryan for that. And then, in terms of casting, this is my second time casting a tournament, and I would say that I mean, in terms of casting, it is actually not as easy as what people think it actually is. Because there are sometimes during the cast where I ramble on too long, and sometimes the thoughts just come and then I just say everything. And sometimes I only just panel onto maybe one screen while my co-caster is looking at something else. And most importantly when you're casting, especially for people who are interested in casting and everything, just think of casting as a way that you're having a conversation with a friend. Because yeah, most likely you'll be having a conversational friend. If not, you won't be casting alongside them. But let's say if you were to transit to a more professional level, let's say you are are actually moving on to maybe casting at a world championship level, ESL level, and everything. And that's where things actually get a little bit different. Because currently I'm casting alongside people which I know, such as Herbstono. And eventually I'll be casting alongside Moonboy in the future. And that's a funny thing, guys. I realize that, okay, if you guys tune into the stream and watch me cast... I've never casted a Moon Boy before, and here's a spoiler for you guys: I will be casting alongside him during the uh, All-Star event during Dragon Summit, which will take place on the 18th of April. So shout out to Dragon Summit and the entire team that has part, who has participated, who has organized the event. Because when you talk about organizing the tournament, I thought it was a very simple affair. Because let's just talk about okay, let's just talk about my overall background of playing Yu-Gi-Oh, playing Hearthstone, and you know, of card games. Back then, when we organized tournaments, as players, we didn't really bother too much. In fact, I would say organizing tournaments usually lie in the realm of players who are adults. And back then, when I was playing Yu-Gi-Oh, I was a very young boy, I would say 15, 16, 17. Yeah, I, I didn't know anything, and we didn't really have that much of an internet presence back then because it was a physical card game, meaning that you're going to just stroll up at a tournament venue and, yeah, you just play the game, that's about it. But now, with the advent of the internet, with the way that you know, technology and everything surrounding us. We don't even need to leave the comfort of a home to play in a tournament. All we gotta do is tune in to maybe Twitch stream, and then you can organize things through Skype, Zoom, and all that. I remember briefly before the COVID-19 thing happened, nobody actually used Zoom, no one used Google Hangouts, no one used uh, Skype that often. I would believe that the technological era of the shift started because of the way that we can work from home. And that made working really easy, such as organizing tournaments and everything. And by the way, you guys, if you guys can hear me or the quality is good, then do give me a thumbs up in the chat so I'm aware that everything is smooth and you guys are having no problem listening to it. In terms of responding to the chat, I would like to leave responding to the chat during uh maybe after every topic, I'll just respond to the chat and see how it goes. And I believe so far so good, right? Yeah, because of it seems that no one is complaining or maybe there's not even anyone tuning in. And regardless of whoever tunes in or not, I believe that most people will be tuning in during the replay when this goes on Apple Podcasts, when it goes on Spotify, when it goes on Amazon, when it goes on yeah the different various platforms. And so when it comes to casting, it is something which I've done it twice. I'll probably go for it the third time, which is in two weeks' time during the All-Star event. And I'm actually looking forward to it because I'm trying to improve when it comes to casting. And in terms of my personal growth or professional growth, you call it, or along my life, I've been a player. Now I've been a content creator, podcaster, caster, streamer, and everything. So I'll say that a lot of things that I do is quite intentional. I try to make it as though I have a full suite of skill set instead of just narrowing down just being a player. Because if you guys know me and multiple times I've been on stream talking about Legends of Runeterra, maybe even about the game at all, I always say that, especially when you're a player, you will not be the top player forever. There's a very high chance that you will not be able to... Be at the top for a very long time. This can be seen in basketball, football, soccer, American football, all that kind of sports. Even in, a, let's say you guys want to be, a, yeah. regardless of what field you're in, you won't be at the top forever. And that means that eventually you have to step down because this is a natural cycle of how things go. Somebody will be at the top, somebody will be at the bottom, and then the guy at the bottom will always aim to be in the middle and then aim to be at the top. So if you think about it, it's a natural progression of how things are. And so it's very common for top players to remain on top for a little while. Maybe they are flashed in a the they win one, and then poof, they disappear and no one knows where they went to. And so when it comes to this, I believe that when you want to be a player, you want to do whatever you want to do in life, you want to ensure that you have a very well-rounded skill set or don't box yourself in, that's the most important part. In fact, throughout my life, I've always ensured that I've stayed relevant whatever I've been doing or I've always been within uh, the information sphere of knowing what is going on. Meaning that regardless of whatever I want to do in life, I make sure that I actually go and pick it up, go and learn it. And then whatever I do is, you know, smooth transition, try out different things. And that, that, that's something about me because I don't really like to just do one thing. I like to do multiple things. I like to learn different stuff. And here's the thing about me is that I used to have a very narrow way of thinking, I think, during secondary school. And then, but I was a bit quirky and weird. And that's why I always got into trouble when I was young. And then eventually, I started reading books, I started to play games, started to meet more people. And I believe that communication is the most important skill, that's why casting is something which naturally came along the way and me becoming a caster. I won't say that I'll be casting forever, I will say that I'll leave it on the menu, like me being a streamer, like me playing different games, me doing a whole marat of different content. Like for example, I started the awesome He's Nut show on Wednesday, eventually I'll be doing maybe more of a talk show format, which is in the plans, in the pipeline by the way, And since this is a Legends from Terra podcast, let's just talk about my one-year anniversary. And let me just check the next slide, what am I going to talk about? And let's just close it here before we move on to the next topic. And let's talk about my one-year Legends from Terra milestone. And as I can see from the chat, uh, there's not much interaction other than Scalamitas making me want to lose my glasses. But I'm sorry bro, not today, not during this stream, I'll not be losing my glasses because I need these for the podcast. And so let's talk about my one-year milestone. In fact, I got notes because this is a very lengthy kind of a thing to go through. And so let's talk about one year. Ever since I started playing Runeterra, what's the most important thing that happened? Okay, let me tell you my story. If you guys first time tuning in and all that, I first started playing Runeterra around a year ago, maybe even during March. But since it falls into the into this week category, let's just call it one, week, one year anniversary. And so when I first started this game, I actually spent a bit of money. A lot of people think that I'm free to play, but... Actually, at the start, I had a bit of help. I put in a bit of money, around 100 bucks, to get it started, because I wanted to be at a point where I could play competitive, competitively viable decks, because we all know how the master Data works. We all know how Legend Rank works in Hearthstone. And so I believe when I transit over, or when I start, first started playing Legend of I believe that it will be something very similar to Hearthstone, which means that if you don't have the cards available, or you have to grind out everything, it will be incredibly tough for you to actually get a foothold or a start at the game. And so I actually spent an initial sum, built a couple of decks that I'll be running eventually. And then so I just played it and voila, it sort of worked. I built Ezreal Karma. And then, but before Ezreal Karma, there was one deck which I built, which was the Hecarim Ephemeral Midrange, which was the best deck at the time. So I crafted the deck. Eventually the deck got nerfed, which is very common in the game because usually they'll just hit the best deck in the game and then people will just, you know, whatever. And then I just played Ezreal Karma, damasia and then I sort of, Pioneered the first version of Ash, like, okay, let's be honest, if you're not a competitive player or you don't have much results, because I, I know this personality. because if you're not a top player or that, nobody really bothers if you're the first guy who made it, you're the next guy who pilot the deck, but you don't get any success. And so I would say the concept of Ash, the Frostbite mid-range, was something which I came up with, because the Master as a region or as a playstyle was heavily countered by anything that could stop its on during the combat phase. Every other deck has sort of some way to deal damage out of the combat phase, such as Ezra Karma. And so I built the Ash deck as sort of a way to counter the Macia or sort of mid-range decks. And last night, Elusive was still a thing, together with the uh, very old school uh Z Kingko Wayfinder. Was it Kingko something? You drop the you drop it Allegiance, you, you summon two copies of uh Navuri Blade Scout. Yes, that's a very old school way of playing elusives. And we look at the way that one year has passed, Legends of Rondera. I can just safely say that during this one year, the entire concept of Elusive has changed. We got to the point where we have to drop, we have to play Elusive mid-range, and all of a sudden, TFEs became the entire phase of Elusive. And before I talk about TFEs, let's talk about the next evolution along, along the game throughout through the entire year. I'm speaking like a historian, right? And so the next thing I came about was Korina Control. This sort of deck that evolved because... It was a natural answer to elusive mid-range, because elusive was very annoying. And there was no actual way of dealing with elusives other than single combat, challenger, and... You know, you, you guys know what I mean. And back in the day, we didn't have a sharp side, and we didn't have a lot of actual way of dealing with elusives when they're on the board. And so the natural way that came about was Shadow Owls and PNC, and the Korinda concept just sort of was molded and fit together. If I'm not mistaken, Swim was the guy who invented this deck. And the player just adapted and made this deck sort of better ever since. And so Corinna Control became a mainstay in the game. It was a very easy and simple linear playstyle deck. You just gotta put a couple of cards together and it just sort of worked. You run basically a lot of removal. You store the game until turn 8, turn 9. Turn 9 you drop Ledros or you drop Corinna, And then, yeah, the game sort of just plays out on its own. And then after that came the expansion. If I'm not mistaken, it is the Season of Plunder. The Bilge Water expansion. And when the Bilge Water expansion came out, came along two premier decks that sort of dominated the meta during May-June of Legends of Terra. If I'm not mistaken, the two decks that dominated the era was Heimervai along with Kamalux. And Heimervai was the deck which dominated the meta for far too long. I think Heimervai was relevant for at least three months in the game, if I'm not mistaken, which made, which made it incredibly long as a deck, which could be at the top. Because when we look at Ezra Kama, it was only at the top for maybe two months, one and a half months, before the brand new x came out. And then we had Corridor Control, which was only at the top of the game for maybe a month before the entire meta shifted again. And then came along Birchwater and Nap, came along with the brand new way of stealing cards, which created a lot of controversy. It created a lot of controversy because the way you net cards, you still cards. Back then, it wasn't at the bottom of the deck. It just stole cards from your deck. And then, you just stole everything. And then, you know, it just made playing against Water very annoying. There was, what's it called? Turbo Sejuani. There was a deck known as Turbo Sejuani, which is the uh Sejuani along with Gangplank. It was the premier mid-range deck. It was... Quite annoying at that point because when you're playing sort of some decks, such as, uh, yes, I can see you the misfortune surgery, but I know I was, I'm talking about the uh, season of plunder, guys. And there was, there was sort of a way that when you can steal cast from an opponent, it got sort of very infuriating because I remember back when plunder was a very big thing, I was actually playing Ezreal Karma a lot and I did make a lot of, uh, noise about the way that network. Because when you look at all those blunder decks, together with, like Scalamita said, Misfortune, or oh, there's another way of the gangplank as well. I believe the gangplank was sort of a later iteration, but I know that Misfortune was actually part of the game overall game strategy. Because if you look at the way the deck works, it's, it's a very advanced level, or the, or the next iteration of the Masia mid-range kind of decks. And then, here's the best part about NAP. When you use NAP, before it was even caught that, you steal the cards guess what you steal you still deep meditation you still most important you still deny and that really pissed me off a lot because look at that it, like, it has possibly the best tools during the early mid game and during the late game they have pre nerf read type racks oh yes you guys remember the old read type racks yes the one that actually ruined everyone day. yes basically that card and back then the big reason why azro kama sort of faded off was because we all know that the wing con is Ezreal on the board together with Kama together. And then guess what happened, guys? Uh, Warning shot, and then he dropped, uh, he dropped the uh, red tight rex. And then Ezreal and Kama just get poofed because uh, Kama has 4 life, 3 life before it levels up. And then Ezreal has 3 life before it levels up. And then you can't deny the, the cannon barrage, which means that both creatures are destroyed. And then slowly, if I'm not mistaken... Kamalak sort of faded off because we guys, we all remember that huge nerf. The nerf that they did to Grizzly uh, Ranger, which was one of the best cards from the Master at the time. And then they nerfed... What, what else did they nerf? I can't recall what else they nerfed. But I remember it was such a big nerf that Kamalak just sort of poof, faded off. Yeah, Radiant Garden got nerfed as well. It was so big and that nerf sort of just made uh, Plunder so amazing. And Bilgewater sort of became the premier region because... If you notice the way Legends from Terra as a game, as it progressed, the newer cards tend to be stronger than the older cards, which is, yeah, I believe it's a very big problem. And I remember when Shadow Assassin got buffed in the latest patch, I was sort of thinking, wow, this is actually... Instead of making a 2-1, why not they bring it back to a 2-2? Because let's be honest, when we look at the brand new cards, guys, the brand new cards are way better than the old cards. Way, way better. And, And therefore, I would believe that, you know... Why not we just revert some of the nerfs, you know? And then by the way, we all know that Aphelios got hit, we know Twister Fate got hit, which I will cover later. So so hang on guy, hang on tight, guys. And so during the one year there have been a lot of things that have changed, you know, up and downs, up and downs. But overall it has always been the same game. Because ever after that that entire fiasco of Ezreal Kama, there came about Twister Fate Ezreal. Twister Fate Ezreal was in fact one of the best decks in the game because it could really okay, before Twisted Fate Ezreal was as a deck sort of came out. Let's just say that uh you guys you guys remember this concept of the mid-range meta of the ash decks the, the frostbite and then Sidrani sort of came in and made as Sudrani sort of very really really very good at the game make the mid-range playstyle sort of if you're not running as you're probably just gonna get specked around, and that was damn true because as Sudrani sort of have a very good answer against the Master is very good answer against every single mid-range deck in the game. And then he has draw engine with triferent assess- assessor, the pre nerve assessor at four mana, and I would say that overall, as a deck, Ash the journey was, you know, it, it was packing, packing a lot of stuff. In the late game, in uh, Captain Farron, which has decimate, and then yeah, it became a sort of a very pretty pretty good deck. And then and then the thing is that when you think about mid range decks and how it functions, and then people started in- innovating, started thinking of different ways to counter, you know, mid range decks. And then came about Swain Twister Fate, which was one of the ways where mid-range decks kind of suffer a bit because of the, uh, what's the card called, Irognoid Sentry, together with Revenant song And yes, Revenant song is actually one of the biggest cards during uh, the Season of blunder Because 4 damage to a mid-range deck is, at 1 mana, it's game-changing. I can't, I can't really stress how game-changing Twister Fate Swain as a deck really was. And then came about a brand new iteration, which is, I just mentioned, Twister Fate Ezreal. Twister Fate Ezreal is by far, I would say, the biggest game changer in the game. And that really made Ezreal became, become a much more different way of approaching Ezreal. That was the very first iteration where playing Ezreal not in a control or like a win con, win con sort of worked. Because people tried running Draven Ezreal in the past. Before Draven Ezreal had tried beam and all that, it was sort of a weaker Ezreal karma. It didn't have the... The pack, it wasn't packing a punch. It wasn't, before Ballet Sable all that, it wasn't really packing a punch. But then Twisted Fate, Ezreal sort of made the deck become more well rounded. And we all remember the good old days of Twisted Fate, Ezreal sort of just steamrolling Ezreal Karma and every single deck until you fight a certain deck called Deep. And yes, before today, there was no one playing Deep at all because Deep sort of took a hiatus for a very long time. Drag Dredges now is back to 2 1, but back in the day, Drag Dredges was already a 2 1, and Drag Dredges was actually a pretty good card. And we all cannot deny that when Deep managed to open the perfect curve, they sort of just win the game easily from there. And that was the thing, Twister Fate Ezreal, no matter how well you curve Twister Fate Ezreal, there was no way you're going to beat into Nautilus with armour. Because Retirex can't really do much against Nautilus at all. And the timing between both two cards are very similar, one at 7 mana, the other at 8. So you you guys sort of get what I mean. And then I can go on and on about them my entire one year, but I believe that the game totally changed for the worst, I wouldn't call it the worst, or the way that Ulterra saw sort of became very linear, or the way that decks are built. This was the day, I still remember this day. You guys remember that day? It wasn't when ASO was released, it wasn't when Zoe was released. It was the day when KDA was released. Because KDA, right, was... Okay, KDA SNI event, right, came out of nowhere. The event came, the came a well, expansion pass, la, la la, we all know this. And then they came about a ridiculous card called Feel the Rush. Guys, you know how busted Feel the Rush was before whatever we have right now? Feel the Rush was insane. It changed the way that the pre-existing way that you could make uh control decks work. Guys. When you release Feel the Rush, right, instead of relying on RNG to flip cards when I top for your deck, you know, dropping cards from War Mother Control or whatever, like War Mother's Core, I'll call it War Mother's Control. Yes, you flip out, you flip out uh, Minions everything. Like, no doubt, no, that, that's fine, right? But Feel the Rush, oh yes, Trundle, Trinidad, boom, boom. And then you're sort of thinking, oh my gosh, is this even such a card that exists in the first place? And yes, that card already existed. Even though now I, I don't know that no one really runs Feel the Rush as much, and that's why I would say that, okay, this Field of Rush really changed the way the game was played. In fact, Field of Rush was very pivotal in the first seasonal championships. And that's why I always believe that if they were to release cards all of a sudden, before a huge major tournament, it's very detrimental to players who have been practicing the same decks or for a long time. But I do know adaptation is very important when you're a pro player. But then when you think about it, it's, it's freaking ridiculous. And let's not mention, the biggest card that came together at KDA was GoHard. Yes, yes. GoHard, remember the 1 mana pack of bags, That's, that was basically peak Runeterra, or, or peak Mental Boom for most players. Personally, I never had a problem with GoHard as a card, but then, because I was running Targon already. But a lot of players, when they face against decks such as GoHard, you know the aggro GoHard, the one with... Uh, you know there were 2 versions, the gang playing Twister Fate, and then there was another one with Elise Twister Fate. During the first seasonal tournament, there were a lot of players who were running the both both versions. They were either running the gangplank one or they were running the Elise one. And here's the best part about it: it is the uh, the Elise version seemed to be the more consistent version because a lot of players don't understand Elise as much as they do. Because Elise is a fearsome creature which generates a charm blocker. And most likely, if you're facing against your opponent, he doesn't have a way of dealing with the 1-1 one, off, one, one way of blocking. Because if you block the 1-1, one, one, it is not that amazing at all. Because, you know, the 1-1 one, one is free. 2-3, they can't block, because most likely the creature itself has 2 attack. And so when you think about it, at least it's the perfect card for go hard. Because all you want to do is stack creatures on the board. They can't do it. the 1-1, one, one, you get another 1-1. One, one. And then you play cheap creatures, you, you go hard, you drop, drag away that hand, then you go hard. Yeah, you get what I mean. And the deck sort of was magical. Actually, during the seasonal tournament, the deck wasn't as magical as what people think because there were basically other decks that existed. And I'll say that even though KDA was very detrimental to the game, I sort of say it kind of sucks. I don't really like the entire concept of KDA as an entire expansion and all that. Eventually, there came a point where Go Heart became the deck that everyone was playing because we all know that Zoe was released shortly after that and then came along... Yeah, Zoe came along, and Zoe wasn't as impactful initially. I thought it was just a meh card. And then somehow there was a player who sort of found a way to put together Zoe together with Lee Sin. And then, yes, it sort of worked and became super powerful, okay? I would say the number one deck in the game. And that was the time where people sort of know me as the guarant ASO player because I was tuning into BBG and I saw a deck which I really liked, which was a mid-range kind of playstyle together in ASO as the endgame. Because before that I was actually experimenting a lot with ASOL, the the one with uh Trundle together ASOL and then slowly I I ever since that didn't work, they nerfed ASO, I just felt that ASO was off the table. And then I just didn't play as much ASO. And then when came along the Zoe ASO, the Garen ASO, Fiora ASO, la la, la, you get it. And then I just saw her. Yes, I actually had to re- revitalize and play ASO again. And that was when I actually started having interest in the game which was around the same time where I started streaming Runeterra on a very regular basis, which was in December all the way to January or even February of this year, which was a very amazing time where I got to know a lot of players from this region and all that. And then came along Shurima, but the one card that really changed everything was KDA along with Affiliates. And if you notice, right, the cards that they released before seasonal tournaments are often the ones that really changed the way the game was played. And that was the big problem that I always have, which is they shouldn't be releasing new cards, right? Right, just right before a brand new expansion or a brand new uh, seasonal tournament. And that's why I would say that I do know that they have certain timings where they release cards. Like I do really understand that in terms of a product perspective, you have to brand, you have to release a brand new shiny object every single time. If not, nobody will be attracted to play the game because if you notice, okay, this sounds very uh. It's a more psychological kind of thing, but the attention span of most millennials or Gen Zs are not that high. And so if you're not able to hook them into the game, meaning that you don't have brand new content all the time, they wouldn't be so into playing the game on a more they wouldn't be investing a lot of time into the game. And that's why I would say that even though I don't really agree with the cards being released, sometimes there's no really, there's, there's no choice because they need to release brand new stuff if not no one's going to play the game. And then Shurima got released, and so far Shurima has been kind of underwhelming, but I believe that it's only one third of the region, there's still more cards to be released. And so that's basically task far for my one year anniversary, there are a lot of things that have changed. And let's take a look at the chat. Yeah, it seems that a lot of people are talking, and I've been ignoring a couple of you guys because they are recording the podcast, and let's just look at the chat a bit. Yeah, someone actually corrected me, it was not uh, Gangplank Sajroni, it is Misfortune's Sajroni. so let me correct myself. And then sort of, there's Azubu in the chat, which got second place. And then they nerfed Bannerman, and yeah, Kinko and Lucy sort of was part of the game, like I mentioned during the earlier part of the podcast. And so with this, let's move on to the next topic, which is the important one. Patch 2.5, Analysis and Thoughts. So let's actually move on to the browser. Let's see if you guys are able to see the browser. Wait, hopefully you guys can see it. Yeah, I think you guys can see it, right? Yeah, it's fine. But it's a little bit small, so let me just zoom in a little bit to the words. Wait, let me double check again. I think so far so good, right? Yes. And so with this patch notes, they actually saw sort of released. Uh, the win rates for certain decks, and if I'm not mistaken, they say that fifty five percent win rate and fifteen percent win rate are normal benchmark for corrective balance, which I sort of agree. But the thing is that it is so hard for uh for a deck to reach fifteen percent win rate, which means that okay, let's say you have a player base of a million, and then if if you were to hit sort of uh, 15% with 150,000 people. That's basically 1% of Singapore's population, if, if I'm not mistaken. Is it 1%? Yeah, almost 1% of Singapore's population. I might be mootering the math. And when I look at the win rate, if you guys can see... Okay, by the way, Lissandra Trundle, basically the spectral Matron deck, has a fifty 51%, one 51.7% win rate, which doesn't really surprise me. Because I believe that this deck really requires some form of thinking, which is less similar to Field the Rush and War Mother Control. Like, even though War Mother Control and Field the Rush looks like very easy archetypes to play, sometimes most players are terrible at mana management. Not to say that they are bad at the game, necessarily. I would say that they have not played a lot of the deck. Like, even though there are some turns where the game sort of plays itself, the 51.7% rate overall is actually sort of, uh, I would say... I predicted it because I don't believe that every player will be able to pull off watcher every time, and even if they do, it's a hundred percent win rate. But if you add in the chances of you surviving till watcher comes down, that's nearly impossible, guys. And the next deck, which is, which by far I believe is the very big problem, along with Fiorrashen, which is uh TFS. And let's just talk about TFS and uh, Fiorrashen, which are the two decks which was heavily hit in the two point five zero patch notes. I can tell you that from my personal experience, right, I don't think that Fiorushan as a deck is that problematic. I think the deck was or, or is kinda so so. Because when you think about Fioracian, right, what makes it different from your average Damascus deck? Let me tell you what guys, it's River Shaper. The fact that River Shaper is in the deck makes it very different. Because when you look about it, when you think about it, Damascus has always suffered. When one way, which is its predictability. And when you play Fioration, or necessarily any Damasia deck, and you don't draw dominions, basically the form of breaking, the deck isn't as strong as what would think. And so Demacia, compared with Fioration, the big difference is River Shaper, and River Shaper really makes the deck become sort of better, because River Shaper sort of teens your deck. I don't know a lot of players don't really believe in the concept of thinning, but let me just go through thinning. Thinning is basically to draw... Or to uh, tutor cuts. I believe tutor is a very Yu-Gi-Oh term. So when you tutor cuts means that you're drawing cuts, and when you're drawing cuts means that you're reducing the chance of you drawing into that cut naturally, which means that River Shaper allows you to draw. If I'm not mistaken, the balance of spells between Infernion is half monster, half spell, or maybe more spells than creatures. I think it's 50-50. and so River Shaper allows you to draw into spells, and Russian means that you don't have you don't have any actual way of tutoring monsters, which means that you. Most of the time, you always keep River Shaper in your hand, along with Shen and Fiora, because you know that you have no way of drawing to them other than mulliganing or true top decking. And River Shaper is a sort of way for you to draw the spells, which means that Shun paired together with River Shaper means that you always have a free attack to draw a spell. And the only way your opponent can stop it is through Harsh. And 56.4% rate seems a bit higher as a deck, because I do believe that Fiora Shun requires some level of skill to pilot it properly, And the fact that you can reach 56.4% win rate as a deck is sort of alarming to me. Because I always believe that Ferocian as a deck, no matter how you play, is always maybe a 51% 49. The reason why I don't say it's a 50 50 is because Ferocian still has a chance of you uh, running out of gas, because River Shaper can only bring you that much. And in terms of the way that the meta has progressed, I believe that Ferocian, before Fetch 2.5.0, has no bad matchups apart from Ash LeBlanc and maybe discard aggro. Maybe, okay, apart from that, Ferocian really eats every single deck that's in the game. But this cannot be said, this cannot be the same for TFVs, because we all know how much I dislike TFVs. I think TFVs as a deck was the big reason why I sort of uh, lost interest or sort of took a sabbatical, because TFVs really made a lot of decks sort of unplayable. Because when we look at TFVs and the overall way the deck is played, the entire strategy is to draw cards. Like, we all know that drawing cards is fine and all. Drawing cards is part of the game. But what happens when you add in a brand new card in expansion, known as stress testing? And stress testing really makes the game go to a whole new level. Stress testing initially was sort of just thought of, a, uh, you know, it's a rare, pretty meh card. But then when you pair together with rummage, it sort of makes it become... Okay, you discard one stress testing together with rummage, you're basically drawing three cards. And if you discard it with double-stress testing, you're getting four cards. And for Twister Fate, in a sense, you are actually fulfilling half of Twister Fate's level up condition. But on the turn prior to that, you're already having a blue card, which is one draw. And then you use pick a card to get three draws. And then at the start, you get one more draw. Which means that in a span of two turns, you Twister Fate instantly level up. And that usually spells doom for most decks. We all know that the stun mechanic, or the ability to stun, such as Aragnoid you know, Sentry, such as uh, Gravitum, it is a very... it's a good mechanic. We all know that stunning is a, it's a kind of mechanic where it's very rare across a lot of decks. Not every deck has the ability to stun. But when you put together Twister Fate, which is a card which possesses AoE, possesses stun, possesses card draw, it is a one card, three, 1 card 3 options, or 1 card super value card. It sort of becomes very problematic, which means that it can cycle every single turn. And when you look at the game, if you're not playing, uh, Fearushion, if you're not playing, uh, those tier one decks such as Freyelord Shadow Isles, which is Lissandra Trundle, it becomes sort of very annoying. Because let me, let me just explain. A lot of decks require the combat phase to actually do some form of, a... Uh, to actually inch closer to a win. And so if you were to end Twister Fate as a card, and it's ability to level up so quickly only in the case of Twister Fate fees. And let's not sort of forget about fish and all that because people sort of forget about fish until it comes down. And the fact that in this deck it is so easy for you to make fish 0 mana and then you everything. The big problem about Twister Fate and the big reason why I believe that 2.5.0 did a very good rebalancing of that card is because a lot of decks require a combat phase. And when you use red card ones, it clears sort of most mid-range deck strategy of all those cheap minions. And one red card is fine, but two red cards during the turn you are attacking and during his own turn, that clears the entire board. And the biggest thing about this deck is that the blue card allows you to draw one card, and the yellow card, which is by far the biggest issue with Twister Fate as a level-up condition or as a win con. It is that it stops a lot of decks which are not tier one. You stop their main creature from attacking. And you can do it consistently because of the way the deck functions, all the zeros, mana spell, zeros, zero cost cards, and all that. And that's why. I would say 56.4% win rate. This is more believable than Firaushan 56.4% win rate, because Firaushan actually requires a bit of thinking to win. As in for Fist Twister Fate, I'm not trying to bash players who run this deck, but honestly, it is not that hard of a deck to play, because some of the plays are very binary and all that. And when I look at the other decks, the 53% win rate and all these, you know, Aggro having a high win rate, and then Renekton Sejuani, which is very close to 55%, which is very close to uh, the 55% win rate threshold, the problem is that it's not played as much. And this is a big reason why, when I look at this deck, which is the the deck that I've been running a lot, to Johnny, along with another deck I've been running a lot as well, which is Ashplus LeBlanc, sitting at 53% win rate. I would say that these decks, they, have, they warrant a high win rate it's because these players actually understand how the game works, or how the deck works. And this win rate is sort of uh. I would say, bring homage to players who master these decks. That's why they're able to attain this high win rate. And you look at the percentage of play rate, 4.1% and 3.2%. So when you think about it, players who are running this deck all the time, they're always winning because they know how the deck runs. Whereas you compare it to the 10% ratio deck such as Fear Russian along with Twister Fate Fist, the players don't necessarily have to understand the deck. The high play rate really shows that you don't really need to master a deck to play this deck well. And you know what, i I'm, I like to be proven wrong, but Russian with 56%, 66.4% win rate at near a 10%, 10% play rate is a, a bit alarming. It wasn't something which I took notice of until right now when I see the play rate and win rate, but then that really explains a lot of the nerves that, happen, that took place in 2.5.0. And so let's just scroll a bit and let's talk about the card updates. I did uh, on my notes, I did talk about I did segment it accordingly, but let's talk about Twister Fate first. Actually, the Twister Fate nerf really ties it together with Pick a Card and Bubblefish, Fish. We sort of make TF is as a deck dead. I would say it's still playable, but I've not faced a single one yet. But that's very true because when you look at Legends of Terra, most players do not come up with their own decks, even if they do, right? It's sort of an iteration of it, of, or an improvement from a previous existing, you know, sort of a idea that existed before that. And then when I look at the nerf, which is I've seen you draw 9 cards, I do believe that that one additional card really changes it all. But still as a whole, Twisted Fate as a card is still good. When you level it up, you are still going to 100% win the game. Or oh, not 100%, maybe 70 30 you're still likely to win the game with Twisted Fate. And uh, plus one draw, I'll say it's more of re- rebalancing, maybe eight cards. Okay, the thing is that before I go through, we all know what happened during the patch. I can say that Twister Fate can actually remain eight cards instead of nine cards, because they are also going to nerf other cards in a patch. And so let's just say now that they nerf Twister Fate along with Pick a Card and Bubble Fish, the entire concept of TF is sort of weakened but still playable. I still believe that Twister Fate can still be packed together in other decks. But in terms of reliably levelling up and sort of becoming a threat to most decks, I would say that it's a nerf in a good direction, because when the game sort of progresses, I believe that Twister Fate really limits a lot of the uh, potential ideas that can come out of the game. And the next card is Fiora. Okay, Fiora has been a long time coming, guys. You know, if a lot of players may not even have been playing this game around last year this time, but Fiora has always been a mainstay in the game. Fiora has always been a card where a lot of players sort of played around it, they build decks that revolve around it because it is the only card apart from the watcher, apart from other decks. They have alternate win cons. Okay, Fiora is basically the alternate win con card, which I believe is a good introduction to a game because you don't need to hit twenty to zero. But you look at Fiora and the way that the game has progressed over the entire year, people have created different ways of playing it. The first way that came to mind was the standalone Z together with Fiora, and then came along uh the Frail Fiora, and then came along Targon Fiora, which is the uh, Sparkerfly and all that. And then came along one version of that, which was created by a player on Southeast Asia region. He created the Temple Fiora, if I'm not mistaken. And I say that this nerf for me dropping from a 3-3 to a 3-2 has been a long time coming. I don't think necessarily Fiora as a card is busted or too powerful. I would say that the drop of stats from 3-3 to 3-2 makes this sort of a card that relies on other factors to make it work, instead of it becoming a 1 card threat. Because let's not forget that it gets a 1 life bonus when it levels up. And that means that Fiora as a card is heavily reliant on support cards before it actually becomes useful. But let's be honest, a lot of players don't really treat Fiora as a win con. some of them just use it as a means to an end, which means that you drop it on turn 3, if your opponent clears it, then whatever. If they survive, then it sort of creates like a mental block in your opponent's mind, thinking that you can easily win the game through 1 card known as Fiora. And this nerf, the drop of stats, I would say is justified because at the the state of the game, if this game were to progress another year, players will always find a way to make Fiora work. And this drop in stats or making it to a 3-2, it can be easily forgettable because we all know that the next few cards that are going to be released are going to be stronger than the last few ones. And so, you know what guys, even though Fiora got nerfed, it's a Trojan horse, Fiora will still be relevant in the game. But not right now because, you know, people will not be experimenting that much. But do take note of Fiora, because it's still in the game, guys. And the next card, Javan For Okay, this one, right, is a bit odd. I don't think the increase in stats really matters that much. But the thing is that maybe the increase of plus one, plus one is big enough. Because when we think about it, Javan as a champion, no is a good effect, but the hefty cost of summoning for your hand during open attack might be okay, might be fine. But there's actually uh, an idea which I came up with, or more like I would say... There was another player who came up with this concept of uh, Tarik together with Fiora. He used to be in my chat very often, but because I've not been streaming that regularly, he has not been appearing that much. He sort of created a way to make Tarek with Golden Aegis work, because the entire concept of Tarik working was to cast Golden Aegis onto Tarik, you gain the attack token, and then when you attack, you support a minion, you actually get another attack token, which means that you get double attack token with one Golden Aegis, because of the way you buff it together with the support mechanic. And then I sort of just created this deck because I see German being buffed. And you know what? Why not we just put together Targon and the Demacia? Because we all know that Targon and the Demacia always works because you have a, a lot of supportive spells, a lot of buffs, a lot of heals. And it's sort of the perfect region to pair together with. And overall, I'll say that the deck is undefeated so far. I know some players think that I'm memeing very hard. I did talk to them on the Runeterra client. They think I'm joking, but guys, it really works. And we all know the current flavor of the month, which was portrayed during the... Dragon Summit, yes, Dragon Summit, you can see the tab over here, it was the J4 Shen. and I'll say that the deck really functions very similarly to Fiora as a deck, but okay, in terms of Javan as a card, I will say that the moment it levels up, right, even though a lot of people have not seen Javan level up, but from my experience I can tell you, the moment Javan levels up during level 2 and you get free Cataclysm at I can say that, uh, good luck, <laughs> that's actually game over. And so this buff to it, even though the effects not change, but this plus one plus one uh, is actually enough to make Javan good. And let's not forget that he has barrier as well, and it, it's a big reason why Fiora Shen has become Shen Javan. Together with they also pair together a King Javan tree, which which uh, allows you to tutor Javan or maybe give everything Scouts plus uh Challenger. And that's why I would say that the Shen Javan was something which people have materialized at the start, but then it sort of never came into fruition because. Ferocian was really doing so well without Javen, But even though they, they copied a couple of cuts like Golden EG's, they put Javen's cut inside the Ferocian, making it better. But I'll say that this version of Shen Javan is here to stay. It is going to be the premier the Demacia plus Ionia deck moving forward until the seasonals. So do expect Javen to be heavily featured in Shen Javen moving forward into the game. And in terms of Shivana and Lulu... I don't want to go so in-depth into it. I'll just give you a brief idea what I think about Shivana and Lulu. I'll just say that it is decent, but it is not that uh game-changing because Shivana is a worse Renactant and Lulu is just pretty bad. Okay, like no doubt Lulu okay, guys, I don't understand. How is Lulu at this body a 3-3 and Fiora is a 3-2? Okay, it doesn't make sense to me. Okay, okay, I, I know I get that a bit off topic, but it doesn't really make sense to me. Like the buff and all that, you know, creating help picks. Okay, I totally forgot what help picks actually does. Supported ally grows up to five five this round. I still think that Shivana and Lulu are not that great at all. I might be wrong, you know. Someone might actually find a way to make it work, and you know, like awesome You're a piece of shit. You're a piece of shit, th- because you can't find a way to make it work and you say it sucks. But I can just tell you that Shivana and Lulu is forget about it, guys. Okay, maybe I will experiment it when I get back to playing Runeterra again on stream because I got other ideas for next week for my live streams. And let's talk about Pick a Card. I believe that the drop in cost together with drawing 2... Okay, it feels like a... I still think it works. But the thing is that this nerf is actually... Or this rebalancing... I don't think it's a nerf because if it's a nerf, right, it's going to be cost 3, draw 2. For right now, it's a cost 2, draw 2. Uh, I don't think that Twister Fate will ever be going to be a turbo level up again until the next expansion but the threat of stress that seems to exist in the game is sort of uh, prevalent or still exist in the game like we all know that uh, pick a card in uh, in TFS usually decides the game but now pick a card the way it's nerfed makes another Twister Fate deck sort of weak which is Aphelios Twister Fate and I can safely say that Aphelios Twister Fate as a deck is gone as well because we all know the moon weapons got hit which is at the yeah, the lower part of these uh these uh patch notes. But pick a card. Nerf. It is a two-pronged way of actually targeting a card. Because when they nerf, pick a card together with fish, it really affects a Phyllis Twister Fate as a deck. Because when you look at a Phyllis Twister Fate, what is its primary win condition? You know, it's just sort of cycling moon weapons, making your thing get big as big as possible, field temper making the deck become, you know, super huge, super powerful all of a sudden, because you you get 2 mana back, you refill, and fish is 0 cost, Pick a Card sort of allows you to draw free cards that you can play, because everything in your deck costs so little, there's a lot of discounts in the deck, such as affiliates, 1 mana, weapons and all that. And I'll say that this Pick a Card is not necessarily to make Twister, Twister Fate weak, it is to ensure that the future decks don't revolve around just Pick a Card. Like, you guys might not understand what I'm saying, but Pick a Card, this nerf, is actually a very preemptive one, Because it's ensuring that future decks that are being introduced in the game will be sort of breathable. You know breathable? Because if every deck is going to revolve around Pick a Card and Burblefish, which by the way, they both belong to the same region, every deck is just going to be a Pick a Card plus Burblefish deck. And I already talked about Burblefish. I believe this nerf is fine dropping to a 2-1. Because sometimes 3-1 can be super game ending, especially with iterative improvement. And I'll say that I wouldn't want to go too in-depth about Burblefish we all know that this nerf actually is okay, the deck is the card is still playable, but as of now, no one seems to be playing it at all. And let's look at Dread Dredgers together with, uh, Sea Scarab, I think Sea Scarab. I'll cover these two cards together, briefly. I believe that Dread Dredges shouldn't have been nerfed in the first place, making it a 1-1. Because the 2-1 actually enables it to have a much breathable early game, It just something that Deep really lacks. And the introduction of C-Scarab together with Drag Dredges, the buff together with the simultaneous release, sort of make Deep a deck or a contender in Runeterra again. How well Deep will perform is, you know, up for debate. But personally, as a person who has been playing Deep a lot, I think that Deep is very underrated and he has a a lot of good matchups. Because when you think about it, ASO as a deck, or you're running ASO, right? You're running a lot of supportive cards to ensure that you can reach the mid-late game, such as uh, Eclipse Dragon, which makes ASO come down very early. You have Star Shaping, which allows you to stabilise the mid-game, heal up, turn 7, turn 8, drop something. And then you have uh, turn 4 drops, you have Temple in the past, Grand Plaza as well. A lot of those cards sort of just stabilise the game to ensure that ASO comes down eventually, and then you can close out the game easily. And so, in this way, Dread Treasures and Sea Scarab function the same way for Deep. And this enables you to actually reach to actually transition smoothly into the mid-late game and can easily win the game from there, And that's why I would say that I really welcome this buff to Dread Dredges, but how far are we into this game that Deep can actually be a contender again? I try to keep an open mind and say that Deep can still be a contender, but that is something which I believe can happen, but a lot of players are saying Deep just sucks. You know what, guys? i actually go and test out Deep again because I was actually playing around with Sea Scarab and I think that C Scarab as a card is quite underrated because it's always gonna toss something and at two costs with Nautilus buff if you get it during the early game or you get it during the late game it's still gonna be useful because with Nautilus on board it becomes a zero cost which is something that you guys have to think about and the dragway as a card it still remains the same except that you can't use uh the combo together because I remember in my previous podcast episode I didn't mention that either they nerf Ledros or they make uh okay there's only one way enough Ledros to make it 10 mana instead of nine I've always had a big issue with Ledros as a card, because it's quite unhealthy as a card. But now with Dreadway becoming 8, the timeline deck is sort of just, you know, off the table already. And the stats have dropped to a 4-6. The 4-8 sort of make it unkillable, but 4-6 is a... You know what, I think Dreadway is officially dead as a card. And let's move on to Shadow Assassin. Okay, Shadow Assassin is a bit weird as a card, because I don't think that making it a 2-1 from a 1-2... Changes much. But I, okay, the thing is that two damage is going to be compounding. It already reminds me of a much better Burblefish, now that you think about it, right? Shadow Assassin can come down as early as turn three, and it's sort of just very similar to the how the way Burblefish functions. But like, no doubt Burblefish has, has a chance of becoming zero cost. But when you look at Ionia as a region, it sort of lacks that identity. Shadow Assassin is the one card which bridges Ionia firmly across whatever it's paired with. I'll give you a history lesson again, Haimovai, Ezreal Karma, uh, Lux, Karma, yeah, I think these 3 are the premier tier 1 decks, Shadow Assassin as a card was instrumental in all 3 of those decks because it gives you a 2 damage, most important, 2, two life in the past, it draws 1. And let me tell you how important drawing 1 is. Drawing one is the difference between you getting your combo piece early and you even not getting it at all. And the fact that it's elusive means that you can't really clear it unless you commit removal or you have an opposing shadow assassin. And that was a big reason why Astro Karma, Heimer Vi, and Lux Karma could play uh Solidary Monk together with Shadow Assassin. You don't need any other any other uh, creatures at all. Because there's no way they can interact with Elusive unless they run elusive themselves. And I'll say that this 2-1 nerf is not 2-1 buff, sorry, it's gonna be incremental eventually it'll go back to a 2-2, and it will definitely be going back to the original Shadow Assassin. What I think about it is that they should just make it back to 2-2, because there are so many better cards than Shadow Assassin. But then again, a lot of players, when they see Shadow Assassin back to a 2-2, here's one thing to note, it is that a lot of design will be very... the decks will be heavily mirroring those decks in the past. And that's why... When you make it back to a 2-2, where a lot of players will just find a way to abuse Shadow Assassin, deny, and all that. In fact, I can see Shadow Assassin being played in recent decks. I Maybe, maybe not. Because I do believe the draw one is very important, and there's a big reason why they cut it away from the deck, because 1 damage really is nothing. And Fae Guide, Legion Rare Guard, I'm not going to give any comments, because it's sort of those filler cards where I sort of just don't bother with. Esteem Harrow fan. Okay, this is huge. By the way, you know, guys... Uh, Shurima is barely a month old, I think, and we all know there's going to be two more expansions about Shurima, and that's why I say that as team Hero Fan is going to be. This is a preemptive buff. I don't know how important this additional one round will be, but we know that the next few cards that they release, right, along with uh, what do you call it, the Mono Shurima, which is the only way that Azir was supposed to be played, is going to be introduced very soon. And that's why I say that hero fan, with the advancement of an additional one round, it might be something that uh might bite uh riot in the in the behind real soon. And let's just look forward to it. Because I do know that Shurima was always meant to be played as a mono region. And so let's look at the next few cards that are being released and hopefully Azir can be played with the Emperor's deck. Callous Bone Crusher, uh I don't really bother too much because I don't think that this card will ever be played again. Will ever be playable? And let's look at the biggest one, guys. Okay, oh boy. This is the big one. I have a lot of things to say regarding the wound weapons. Okay. Like I mentioned during my one year anniversary but I always say that the big reason why Runeterra has, as a game has changed so much or became sort of linear one way of playing decks, such as what I play aggro, I mid-range, control, control, whatever you get it. And the big reason why the game sort of became this way or it became the new normal of Runeterra, was because of, voila, Moon Weapons. Moon Weapons is actually the big reason why, you know, the Moon Weapons are the big reason why the game just sort of became one-dimensional. It just became one way of playing the game. You just put Aphelios together, and you run field Temple, and okay, you you got a tier 1 deck. That was the big reason why the game sort of just became one-dimensional, or one way of playing. And that's why I would say that, this nerf to moon weapons is good. It's the biggest job well done to Riot. Because if a Furillos were to remain the same way, even though you could nerf to a 3-2, it's sort of just meh, nobody bothers. But now when they nerf it to a 3-cost for all the weapons, it is still, still okay, but it's not as strong as before. And this encourages a lot of brand new decks to come out emerging. Because when we all know that the, when the Moon Weapons were released, right, the entire way that the game was played was very different. Because when the Moon Weapons came out, people just paired together Affilius and Temple, and it sort of became playable. Like to be honest, it's, the the weapons are so good; it just relies on Affilius to generate everything you need, and that's why I say that with this nerf, oh wow, I actually welcome this nerf with an open heart. Let's get it on, boys! Gifts from beyond. Back to a, down to a one drop. Mm, this is to balance out the increasing cost to uh, all the moon weapons. I would say that this is a very good two way approach about it, and therefore I have not much things to say about this from beyond. It might be detrimental in the near future to make it one cost because there's always a way that a uh, brand new cards will make the moon weapons strong again. But that's for another day or or another patch. Enchil Temple guys, this is a final cut that I have to talk about regarding this uh, entire ex- entire nerf thingy. Let's just say that Veil Temple as a card, it is the end of mid-range Targon decks, and Targon is meant to be always played as a late-game deck. And with Veil Temple being nerfed, I can say that it encourages more healthy design across the game. In fact, I really enjoy Veil Temple's nerf. I-, I remember I said I wanted to be 6 mana, but now that they put it this way, I'm fine as well, because Veil Temple really made Targon too strong. Because when you remove from Temple from the entire existence, right? actually, Targon as a deck is fine. It's not broken. Vilt Temple sort of put it to a whole new level, because you can encourage mid-range Targon decks to exist. And now that Vilt Temple is gone, the entire way that Targon is to be played, which is late-game ASO approach, is back. And that's why i would say that overall this patch has done a really good job overall, and I would say that I actually enjoy playing this game again because you won't face TF Aphelios, you won't face TFVs, all that anymore. You won't face uh, Zoe Aphelios, which is just another form of Aphelios, you know, abusing Aphelios. And let's actually head back to the main scene since I'm done with the patch. And so that's actually my thoughts regarding patch 2.2.5.0. And it has been quite a, quite a bit, I talked a bit about the entire patch overall, and I do hope you enjoyed it. So let's talk about, Wait, hold on, wait, wait, one second. Let's move on to the next one, which is who would you like to see on a desk Game podcast? I know that there's not a lot of people in the chat right now. Yeah, a lot of people have been saying that this is actually a podcast and nobody wants to tune in. So let's just say that uh I do have a list of guests that I want on the podcast, but because of the way that my timing is, because I sleep really early and the way I want to upload things before I go and sleep, before uploading on YouTube, Twitter, all that. You know, I do use a scheduler known as Hootsuite to ensure that everybody gets notified when my new episode goes live. And so, in terms of guests, Moon Boy is definitely one of them, because he's been someone I've been interactive with for quite a while. And if you guys do have a list of players that you're interested to join me on on my uh, Twitch channel, do hit me up, you know, drop me a message, uh, email me, talk to me on Discord, you know, I'm very open to anybody who wants to talk to me. You guys will probably catch me on replay. I might even have some uh, players from other regions who can come join me as well. So, that's all I have to say regarding this. And then... Wait, hold on, ah. Uh. And so, yeah, that's that's all I have for today's podcast. Yeah, so I'm going to dedicate Wednesday and Sunday to be about my podcast. Because initially, I just want to play the game. But now I think about it, I have to really diversify the content that I have. Because I do not want to just be playing Rentera and just streaming it. So I decided, you know what, why not I just stream it, stream my podcast and have it so you guys can watch it live. And in this case, it doesn't seem that a lot of people are watching it live currently. And so I would say, you know, regardless of what happens, I don't know if some people are tuning in, some will not, some will catch my replay and yeah. And so that's all I have for today's episode. Don't forget to drop a follow on my Twitch at twitch.tv slash awesomehazenarts. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Lok. And I'm going to have my dinner right now because I'm supposed to air it live at 7pm but I came a bit early because uh, my, my parents have a cooked dinner, they're not back yet so I don't want to start dinner without them. And so that's all I have for today, do, do tune in to my stream when I go live again, I'll most likely be doing other different stuff on my Twitch channel, diversifying my content like always. And that's all I have for today. And that's game.